Welcome to the Bike Portland podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Moss. In this episode, I'll take a bit of a different approach to the Shop Talk series, sort of a holiday edition. Uh, you might recall our first uh, episode in this series when I spoke with Cassie Hidalgo from uh, Gladys Bikes and Brad Parker from Metropolis Cycles. Uh, given that it's the holiday season, I'm uh, recording this just a few days before Christmas, uh, I thought it'd be fun to talk with people in our community who are helping make new bike dreams come true uh, for people in need. Uh, we'll hear from leaders at two nonprofits, the Community Cycling Center and Bikes for Humanity. At the core of both of their missions is a commitment to not only get quality bikes and parts to people with low incomes, but also to help strengthen our community by teaching people how to work on those bikes. Uh, bikes for Humanity uh, is located on Southeast Powell, uh, started in 2005 and became an official nonprofit in 2015. I spoke to their current executive director, Andrew Shaw Kitch, who's been with the group since 2014. Uh, the Community Cycling Center on Northeast Alberta was founded in 1994 and still serves a community with their retail bike shop and several programs, including their holiday bike drive that just happened last weekend. I spoke to their marketing coordinator, Cole Lalomia, who joined me right here in our studio, and I spoke to their program manager, Nisi Cobb, who joined us remotely directly from the floor of their bike shop. Uh, let's start with Andrew. Uh, here's my conversation with Andrew Shaw Kitch, the outgoing executive director with Bikes for Humanity. Uh, thanks for coming on and chatting with me. Yeah, of course. So if you could, could, could you just help me like context wise, like share how you got in touch with uh, Bikes for Humanity to begin with and how you started working there? Uh, yeah, I lived about 64th and Powell in 2014 and rode my bike everywhere and entirely relied on it for transportation and recreation, socializing, and the idea of having to drop $100 unexpectedly was not in my budget at the time. Mm -hmm. um, as, as a freelance parks writer, as we established, <laughs> I did not have a large disposable income, um, but needed to ride a bike, and there was a free class just down the road and it was eight weeks um, do a full kind of education on deconstructing and reconstructing all the parts of the bike just complete overhaul and um, just show up for for three hours a week and and get that that free education and then learn how to um, just keep learning and learn how to do it yourself essentially by coming back and fixing donated bikes after having that like introductory course and then of course being able to use all the resources and that knowledge um, to fix your own bike and maintain it and to do preventative maintenance and, and all that stuff. Um, so that was 2014. I joined the board and that year the 501c3 came through. So I had, had absolutely nothing to do with getting the um, nonprofit certification, establishing the whole thing. I was just there when the person that started it um, uh, was making his plan to leave, which was the beginning of 2015. So once that certification was there, he had recruited a team. By August, um, he moved on and, and gave the reins over to us, so to speak. And you kind of got sucked into the the nonprofit biking uh, world there and, and kept repairing bikes. Uh, and now you're like the executive director, right? Or the outgoing executive director. Uh, exactly, yeah. I started out as the social media communications 
um, person. So like write, writing uh, press releases, writing out the, the newsletters, um, doing social media posts, going to events, taking pictures, all that kind of stuff. And then slowly became you know a competent bike mechanic, became a skilled bike mechanic at some point. And um, I also had you know experience teaching. So when the person that taught the class left um, in 2017, I took over the class and just slowly but surely um, took over stuff. When the, uh, the bookkeeper, who's a volunteer, um, he was a bookkeeper for Fred Meyer and loved bikes and then was recruited by Kroger, he moved to Ohio and I was a bookkeeper as well. Um, back in 2017. So. so so, just to back up a bit, the reason I wanted to talk with you this time of year is because I, I, I thought it'd be fun to just, you know, highlight some of the work that Bike Shimano is doing, but also like maybe put a different spin on a new bike day, right? You're familiar with like that hashtag. Uh, a lot of people use it to just be like, hey, check out my new bike. But I just, if you could back up and just share with people what Bikes for Humanity does in the sort of new bike day realm, if you could give people a sense of, of the kind of work you guys do. Totally, yeah. Um, so starts with giving donors an opportunity to let go of their bike, give it to a place where um, it's going to get another another chance to be like a fully tuned machine and get it in the hands of somebody that can really use it. Um, you know, if you give it to to Goodwill, the person that's that's buying it, they're getting a great deal, but you're not going to have a a safe, um, you know, efficient machine necessarily unless you get super lucky um, and then goodwill apparently one of the stores i learned from someone that donated a bike to us doesn't accept bikes without kickstands um, which really limits uh <laughs> the bikes That's that you're really going to be odd. getting through there yeah <laughs> um so yeah we'll, we'll take all bikes and we get a lot of really nice ones that need you know a couple hours of a tune-up and some polishing up and then we need ones that will require a full 10 hour adventure sourcing parts um, to fix up um, and then stuff will we'll deconstruct and scrap and um, we'll have volunteers participate at all levels of that so if they're just starting out we can give them a Walmart bike to, to take apart and show them where the rear derailleurs are kept or where the scrap bin is probably for a Walmart rear derailleur um, and then uh, we have adoptions which is the umbrella that both sales and grants is under and we name the bikes, put them on our website, like at the Humane Society. So we're fully, fully in on the adoption metaphor. Yeah, uh, yeah I was going to ask you about that. Has that always been like that? Because I have two daughters that worked at a dog rescue, and I, when I saw how you how you do that on the side, I was just laughing. You have full names <laughs> and like special talent or something like that. Like, and it's you really go for the adoptee, uh, like rehoming of the bike kind of thing. Is that how did that get started? It's like a it was a general like slow thing i think uh the the original model was not required dependent on a brick and mortar we would go to schools or community centers and there would be donation adoption drives so uh, people could bring bikes they, they wanted to donate we had our mobile repair set up there we would fix the bikes or brings ones that we had already fixed up and then people would adopt them on the site um so that that is all predates uh, my my involvement. Um, so the adoption idea was already there, and then as a as a creative writing sort of person, I could just kind of leaned into it. And um, yeah, it's I think it's it's very it's very um, easy to show up and volunteer and say, hey, make an adoption profile for this bike. Like it's very daunting to say like day one overhaul this bottom bracket. 
but just having that be something that somebody can walk in the door and help with and then already have that kind of personality facing outwards and it just it, it's all a, a lot of what we do is making the bike world more friendly and inclusive um, and that's you know one just bringing the price down then two just having that kind of personality to it um, and then my, my colleague dan he uh he brought in the the special talents um idea so it's 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 always evolving and improving for sure nice and um and affordability and like access to a good quality bike that's kind of like at the heart of bikes to humanity right like getting those prices where and these aren't like super cheap bikes because uh, you are putting time into them and making them really good and rideable but compared to where they could get something comparably this is having a good price and actually doing programs right to reach out to folks who may not go into a shop for whatever reason uh is kind of part of the mission right uh totally yeah i think the the price point is uh, i'll sometimes compare it to getting a craigslist um bike but knowing that it's been professionally tuned up and has a three-month warranty um so they're they are going to be somewhat sub-market bike shop prices but similar to the market rate we don't want to just be giving stuff away um and i think there was a lot of concern um before my time that if you if you make the price too low you create an opportunity for somebody to to resell it and make a profit so just bringing it you know high enough where somebody's really realizing oh this is a 500 hundred dollar bike i'm paying you know sliding scale 250 to 350 for it but it is a super quality bike and i'm getting a great deal because um, we really believe that there should be an investment to improve the quality of bikes that people are, are getting especially if they're new to the bike world or if they commute all the time but just go five miles an hour on the sidewalk because they don't feel safe going in the street because they're they can't accelerate um you know to get out of a dangerous situation and they can't stop fast enough to avoid one so there really needs to be like community incentives to prevent people from buying a 200 dollar bike from a department store um, and then having that be their bike experience. The more people have an amazing bike experience for the, what they're able to afford, the more people are going to have on, on bikes. Cool. And I know you mentioned like the value of just getting people on bikes and getting access, but for you, am I right? Like for you, it's also like keeping bikes out of the waste stream and also like sort of just getting more out of these products and sort of like fighting that sort of planned obsolescent sort of capitalistic inertia that everybody's life is so a part of it seems like these days so like can you speak a little bit about that like what that means to you to kind of like keep giving these bikes life and giving these materials longer longer ability to like do good things in the community um yeah i think um all those kinds of things we've um worked on also during the pandemic and the supply chain shortages has been very um um, you know, it's, it's satisfying in a sense. Obviously, it's like a, a pretty shitty situation in the world. Yeah, but I was going like... to ask you. <laughs> I was going to ask you about that. Like, as someone who refurbishes existing bikes, or you're kind of having your moment in terms of like people are not, or they weren't being able to get bikes at shops or even parts. And so, did you get anybody coming into the shop during this COVID supply chain thing, being like, "Hey, you got something I can ride?" Definitely, yeah. Um, but yeah, so it's there. There is like value in the just having stuff in stock you know if you have systems for reusing and testing tubes then you don't you're not going to be affected by a tube shortage 
but from my perspective that that should be how things have always been done if like you're riding a bike from my from my perspective you're an environmentalist you're concerned about sustainability um you have just a visceral you know issue with waste in general and i was super surprised when i like got my first job at a bike shop that nobody patches tubes and it makes obviously makes sense having worked in a bike shop you can't guarantee a tube patch that's something that you can do on your own um so i think a lot of people that get into bikes they start going to all the bike shops and gathering all the tubes that just have an easy puncture to fix um and there is definitely value in that but we just have we you know we'll we'll test them for a week we pump them up put them in a box and then check them a week later and it's another very inviting volunteer task you can just deflate tubes and sort them or pump them up and try to patch them um and then doing that with, with uh, other parts as well tubes are obviously the the most uh tricky one because a good tube and a punctured tube when they're deflated look exactly the same so you have to we have very rigorous standards to keep them separate um, once they're all deflated um, but yeah lo lots of parts just end up in the in in the dumpster from from other bike shop operations and we're able to 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 run our operation you know getting like a bike a day fixed up and out out the door um, with you know just buying chains buying some inner tubes um, We've had to manage without cassettes for a long time because cassettes have been very hard to source during the pandemic. Um, so just using problem solving and keeping stuff organized and available that we know has another life. Um, just saying like, okay, this thing, we don't, we're not gonna need it now, we'll put it here. And then six months later, that somebody comes in looking for that exact same thing. So it's the affordability piece and then also just keeping stuff that other people aren't keeping can make a bike work that otherwise somebody would give up on or have to spend you know 100 bucks on ebay yeah so did i hear that right you sort of saved rehomed got adopted out however you want to say it but about a bike a day so about 300 so bikes every year uh yeah it, it definitely varies we've had like we had like seven days a week like 10 hour days back in 2014 15 when i came started coming around and then once the Stephen who started it left, it was no longer volunteering 60 hours a week. Uh, it became a, a pretty hard to sustain, especially in the winter time. Um, so we've kind of uh, like expanded and contracted um, with the bike season, um, but have realized that we're, people are always going to want bikes. Um, you know, it's the winter time, but it's the holidays, so people want to get gifts or um, set up people in their community with a free bike. So we're just constantly cranking out bikes and getting probably um, like over 400 donations and then about 365. So like right now we've given away um, 86 bikes to members of the community and um, redistributed about 270 um, finished bikes at sliding scale um, affordable prices. So it's, it's a rough estimate that will be a little bit over a bike a day. Cool. And you mentioned, um, I saw something on your site about working with uh, Central City Concern uh, and some of their clients and other social service uh, providers. So uh, can you tell me a little bit about that program? Have you gotten bikes to people that live on the street and how, how's that gone? Um, it's, it's kind of the most meaningful way that we've been able to sustain um, kind of our social justice component during COVID. 
we had earned a bike opportunities in the past and one of those was in a central city concern space at the estate building so in march of 2020 we just we pivoted to granting bikes to anybody that reached out to us um and we had done like versions of that folks at, at dhs and other other organizations howard's heart is the foster care um, support organization um, have have reached out to us and will say, yeah, we have this bike ready to go. You know, either we just finished it or it hasn't sold for a little bit. If we're in a position to grant it through these partners, then we'll do that and also set them up with a with a basic quality U lock. Um, but since since you know pandemic operations have had to become somewhat institutionalized, the program has become keeping. Um, a list of contacts of partner organizations um so um you know central city concern is one uh transition projects um other organizations that work with um specifically women that are are escaping domestic violence situations um and we also just have a lot of folks that reach out to us as individuals they don't have a big budget they're they're new to portland um, they're a parent and their, their kid just outgrew the bike that they've ridden to school every single day and will essentially say like, it's a, it's a, you know, one to two month wait when we have some options, you, you all can come by. And then, um, if they had the money for a bike within a month, they'll probably have gotten one. If they don't, then they're super excited to come back and get a bike from us. And, um, we have a grant in to hopefully make the, expand this program in the next year because um, with as as the Delta variant came and as Omicron has come, we were not in a position to expand like earn a bike opportunities or in-person stuff. It works really well just to um, have some volunteers working from home fixing bikes, having staff in the shop with one volunteer at a time fixing bikes, and then just have folks come in test ride a couple and then leave with the one that, that works for them. Right. So the beat's definitely going on with Bikes for Humanity, even through COVID. And so you survived. You have survived. I won't say you are surviving, I should say, since the freaking pandemic stuff won't go away. Right. Uh, but you're still you're still churning out bikes. And, that, and that's great. And hopefully I know that going out to events and doing free bike repair is a big part of your programming as well. And I love that uh, you guys had a partnership with like an East, East Portland, right? Like off of Springwater. It was all the way in Gresham, right? Gresham Park. We still have yeah space there um, working with the city of Gresham at, at Main City Park. Oh, and, so you've actually got like a like a shop space there, like a like a, a stand and everything you can go to. Um, it's all it's all mobile, so it's in the barn mm. that the landscaping team um, and all of Gresham kind of shares that barn, like right off of Johnson Creek. Um, between the corridor, the corridor trail and Johnson Creek itself, and um, we just have a little nook. We've got a rolly cart, and then. Um, a trailer and um, you know mobile stands, and we'll set that up out there. And so. people just people just roll by and get free tune-ups and stuff like that. Um, exactly, yeah. Um, it's been super great. We've been able to sustain that as our only consistent public-facing program during the the pandemic. That sounds awesome. Love it. But you're you've had a good run at, at Bikes for Humanity. You've been there about seven years, right? Uh, yeah, I started the class in October of 2014. So. Yeah, just past the seven-year mark as participant, and then um, coming up on five years as an employee um, in the spring. And I, I, before we started recording here, I saw your beautiful little girl, 
and uh, I know that you're you're going to be moving on, right? So I wonder if you could, you know, tell the community kind of what what Bikes for Humanity needs at this point. I know you're looking for still looking for volunteers. You need like board members. Go ahead. What's the what are the needs right now from Bikes for Humanity? Um, yeah, we need some folks to kind of take over um, volunteer leadership. So my my job is kind of to take all the policies and direction from a volunteer board and translate it into the work. And um, at this point, the the board is kind of fading out and we'll need a new team of folks to take over and lead um, staff and volunteers into kind of the next generation of Bikes for Humanity. So I'm planning on, on being done by the end of spring. So we'll be hiring another person to support uh, Dan and Aleda, our two other employees, and then all the volunteers. But um, yeah, since my daughter was born um, 13 months ago, I haven't had the same like time frame um, to commit to doing the same work. And then with COVID, it also hasn't seemed responsible or practical to try to expand public-facing um, work. But there is so much that, so much need for um, affordable repair and um, affordable bikes and everything that we can provide that um, I'm just hoping to recruit more folks that they can they can take our mobile um, tools they can come into our shop um, they can create more partnerships and just really maximize the impact that um, that we can have on the community and get more folks on bikes and get people on bikes that are better than they would otherwise be able to afford. That sounds like a good plan. So uh, you'll be around for a few more months. Sounds like uh, Bikes Humanity is really set for a good future, even though you know the pandemic's put a crimp on things. So uh, is there anything else that uh, you want to let people know that we didn't that we didn't talk about? Uh, every every year this time we do a, a year end fundraiser. So you can make a tax deductible donation um, on our website. Um, if you do have bikes that you are not not using, or you just got a really nice one for for the holidays, then um, you can bring your old one by and we'll, we'll tune it up and get it ready either for one of our, our grantees or for sale through our shop. And yeah, any, any way that you wanna contribute, whether that's volunteering, uh, monetary donation or bikes, um, we're, we're happy to have the help. Awesome, Andrew. Well, well, thanks for talking and sharing all this with us. Yeah, it's a pleasure, Jonathan. That was Andrew Shaw Kitch, outgoing executive director of Bikes for Humanity. Next up, we'll hear from Cole Lalomia and Nisi Cobb from the Community Cycling Center. Here's our conversation. Uh, Cole and Nisi, thanks for uh, taking some time to talk. It's great to have you here. I have Cole in the room with me, and I've got Nisi uh, coming to us from the shop at the Community Cycling Center. So thanks for coming on. Thank you. Um, it's been like a real, you know, tumultuous 20 months obviously and i just wonder maybe this is a good question for you nisi from the shop's perspective if you could take take me back to like i guess even february i'm assuming you were like seeing in february 2020 you were seeing signs that possibly this thing called covid was going to be a big deal but i always think march was kind of the real big date that changed everything with the with the uh with the governor issuing the declaration about being locked down so Take me back to that moment uh, from the Community Cycling Center's perspective and sort of like how, how you were feeling and responding uh, as a staff person there. Yeah, it was um, pretty scary at first because of 
uh, everything being so unknown and new and just kind of trying to figure out how to move forward. So it kind of, for us, started with us shutting down almost completely and just trying to get repairs out that were already here. Um, and then figuring out how to protect ourselves uh, from the public, from each other. It, it felt really strange and just like <laughs> kind of apocalyptic a little bit. <laughs> and share with share with folks that don't know a lot about how the shop works there. Like, can you give give folks a sense of like the context of the shop at the CCC? You know, CCC is a nonprofit, does all these other services and programs, but this retail bike shop's just been such a touchstone of the mission and of the work for so long. So, how does it operate, kind of like within the structure of the organization? Uh, so the shop is here to basically support all other programs. So everything that we do in the shop, all of the money we make from our sales is there to support our other programs. So as long as people are shopping here, it helps us out. Donating to us helps us out. Um, everything that happens in the shop just really helps the rest of the organization stay together. Uh, so if we're all working as a team, we're doing really well. It was a scary time, and I, I'm really glad we got through it. And we're here still, just hanging on. Yeah, I'm glad to see to see you at the shop in, in 2021 and knowing that the shop is still open and that, that there's people behind you walking around. That's like feels really good uh, just to even see that and to hear that. So um, in terms of, you know, I, I get it. So like the shop is sort of like this heartbeat, like the engine of the organization in a lot of ways. But also know too, like, well, there was a new thing that happened during COVID where you started serving people like food by bike, so doing food pantry pickups, right? Like, tell me a little bit about how that, that program and whether or not we could expect that to keep going in the future. Yeah, so we're still doing food deliveries. The food delivery, food pantry delivery by bike program um, took off pretty quickly, um, and it was operating out of two locations, um, one in Cully and then also from um, North Portland as well. Um, and so... Since September, the Cully program has closed its operations. You know, we were able to provide an incredible service for a full year um, or a little bit more. Um, and then the communities in North Portland are still asking for the service. Um, and so we're still providing it. And at this point, I think we're uh, providing upwards of 50 deliveries per week. I really love the food. The food program was, was so cool that you're able to like identify the need and pivot and, and make that happen. I think that's really cool. I mean, the, when I was, uh, Nisi, I was looking at the website before chatting, and one thing I'm just super impressed with about the CCC, and I feel like you've like sort of leaned more into, at least in my perspective over the years, is really being intentional about services for people without as much money. So like low-income related programs. And I really love this one called like the pay it forward um, idea. Can you just tell tell us like how that works? I'd actually turn that over to Cole since it was his idea and it's been working out really well. Okay, Cole, go ahead. So I, yeah, so pay it forward. How does that, I, how does that program work? I kind of read about it, but it didn't, I, I couldn't figure it out. So how does that work? So it's a lot what it sounds like. You can pay for a flat fix. Um, however, you don't get yourself a flat fix. Um, you're able to give it to someone else. 
um, who would otherwise maybe not be able to pay for it. Um, so all day long at the community cycling center, we do repairs for free. We don't really tell people that we do this, but it happens. And it happens at a lot of other bike shops too. You know, these are the types of repairs that like you just do because you don't have to. A lot of places will also turn people away when they can't afford to fix their bike. This is one way that we can kind of quantify this one aspect of free fixes. So that was kind of the, some of the thinking around it is like, how do we actually afford to give stuff away for free? How do we afford to do free repairs? And this is one avenue of, of paying for it, essentially. You pay 20 bucks, which is the normal price of fixing a flat tire. Um, and then a little card that says free flat fix goes into a slot. Um, and that board that has a card in it is um, visible to any service customer. Um, and the idea is to make it, um, you know, have uh, be full of dignity in that you don't have to um, ask for it. You can't, you don't have to give the mechanic a full story about why you can't afford the thing or whatever. You can just take the card and present it, uh, no questions asked, and go on with your day with a fixed bike. Actually, I was just looking at some stats for the Pay It Forward program, and we helped out nearly 200 people with fixing their flats, which is amazing. Great. That's just like, that's one of the gifts of the CCC. I mean, another big one, you're able to bring back the holiday bike drive. And so the CCC is still giving bikes, you know, uh, having that whole program of bike drives and getting bikes back out there. And did you just have... You just had the holiday bike drive recently here. Which which one of you can can speak about that? And how how did that go? I'm just curious how it looked this year. Yeah. So I I was um, present at the one last week. Um, so to to go back a little bit, um, we since COVID have pivoted bike drives in general um, to uh, being smaller events and um, throughout the year um, and. This was a plan that we actually had before COVID hit, um, which was, um, you know, uh, there are a lot of benefits to it. You get to spend more time with uh, with the recipients, um, and it's less of like a chaotic, giant bike giveaway with, uh, with you know, hundreds of people there at once. Um, and it's really, uh, it seems more manageable um, as well. So... Um, these bike drives we're calling community bike drives, um, and we hosted several of them throughout the year with various partners throughout Portland. Um, but we still have holiday bike drive, um, and really those are community bike drives that happen in December. And yeah, there, you know, there's, there's nothing different about them other than, uh, it's, it's in December, it's around the holidays. Um, and, uh, this past week was the... Uh, first of two holiday bike drives, um, which was held at Clarendon School in North Portland. Um, and then the other one was at a school in Southeast. I forget the name. But in total, we gave away 102 bikes to kids that would otherwise maybe not have the opportunity to ride. Um, we partnered with Head Start to give the bikes away. So Head Start is a program through... Portland Public Schools that serves low-income families. 
it's good. To, it's good to see that. I'm glad. I'm glad that that's uh, still going on. Um, Nisi, I wonder. You, I know. How long have you been at the uh, CCC? How long have you been on the staff there? Uh, this current stint, I guess, has been about five years. <laughs> but I got my first job with the CCC back in like 2007, 2008, um, and stayed on for about five years, and then moved on to a few other shops and realized this is my dream shop. I want to come back. So here I am again, coming up to almost 10 years total. So so you've definitely, you've been around long enough there to have like seen some things. Uh, and, yeah. you know, yeah. I, I just really, I'd love to hear from you. Uh, you know, in addition to COVID, with the, the the sort of like upheaval around race and the racial reckoning around the George Floyd and all the protesting and all that stuff, which I know has been felt really strongly by I'm sure the CCC and, and yourself and every everybody really and uh, the bike industry more broadly. But are there things from your perspective at the CCC that have changed because of that? Um, you know, in the both of these things, again, COVID and, and the racial uh, reckoning that we've all gone through, are there things like sort of structurally how the shop works or one or two things that you could share as examples that maybe have changed at the, at the CCC and like probably people would expect maybe going forward could be operational or just even in the spirit of the mission? You know, I'm just curious how, how these just really amazing two years have, you know, maybe shifted the foundation there at the CCC. Yeah, I feel like... From my perspective, the CCC has always been a place that has had these conversations just like at the front of everything we do. And so we've always been talking about, you know, anything diversity, equity related, uh, just to make sure we're doing our best in the communities we serve. So those conversations have been ongoing. And I do think that we through that have attracted a more political crew that is more aware um, and interested and dedicated to social justice. So that feels really good and special to be a part of a team like that. And I really appreciate everyone here doing the work on their own to be better and doing the work together to help us all come together and, and be a good you know, close kind of family team. Um, so, you know, there have been changes, but it hasn't, the way that we operate in that sense hasn't changed that much. I mean, a bike shop, uh, it's a difficult industry sometimes to work in. And there are, you know, inequities in gender because of how the industry is built. Um, and race, it's a, it's definitely a white male dominated industry and it's hard to be non-binary. It's hard to be a person of color. It's hard to be anyone other than a white male in this industry and feel safe and successful. So it does feel especially good to be in a shop like this, where for me personally, I feel safe. I felt like because of the environment here, I was able to come out as non-binary. I was able to come out as trans, and that felt like it, this was the safest place for me to do that, and I couldn't believe that I could find that in a job. So, 
yeah, the CCC is um, kind of a magical place. There are ups and downs, but, you know, it's really a great place to be. It's a great place to work. I look forward to coming here and I don't, I can't imagine going anywhere else really. I love it. So it's like the CCC was doing that work even before. And it's, if anything, it just validated and solidified why it's important. And you're, you're like a a great example of that. And you said before, it's kind of your, it's your dream shop. So the fact that you're, you're still sitting there now and, and almost 2022, I think bodes well for the shop and the fact that, you know, uh, it, they've weathered this storm, and I would think that going forward, whether it's COVID or anything else, the shop's probably in pretty good, pretty good shape, and it's been resilient. It's great work. It's so important. If if people in the community want to help, h- how can they stay in touch with the CCC? Where can they go to help right now? Yeah, if people want to help, it's always helpful to donate. General donations make a huge difference for us. And donating bikes, of course, helps so that we have more bikes to get out there. Volunteering is a great way to help, too. But, like, number one, donations um, are huge. Bikes and volunteering. Those are, like, the best ways to support us. Nicole, go ahead. The, the, the marketing person. Yep. I got to give, marketing give pitch. a chance please, to answer that please. one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, if, if you're listening to this um, in 2021, um, check us out in GiveGuide, where we're uh, alongside 200 other incredible nonprofits in Portland. Um, you have a bunch of options to, uh, to give and win a bunch of really cool prizes. Um, if you're listening to this after 2021, um, go to communitycyclingcenter.org and uh, donate, volunteer, uh, get involved. Follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Cool, all, all the above. I'll, I'll have all the links in the uh, show notes. And uh, <laughs> I, I think what good job, Cole. The, <laughs> the, the work you all are doing is so so important and so great, uh, even more so now than ever. So thank you so much for the work you do, and also thanks for taking time to talk with me today. Yeah, Yeah, thanks thanks for for having us. That was Cole Lalomia and Nisi Cobb from the Community Cycling Center. Check our show notes for links to learn more about each of these groups and stay tuned to future episodes in this Shop Talk series. One more thing I wanted to mention before signing off on this episode was, first of all, I hope everybody has a great holiday. I also wanted to thank all of our listeners for helping us blow way past that 5,000 download threshold. We did that a couple weeks ago. That was really nice. So thank you for listening. And thanks to everybody who's given us a review and a rating. If you haven't done so yet, please do so. It helps other people find our show. The Bike Portland Podcast is a production of Pedal Town Media Incorporated and is made possible by listeners just like you. If you're not a subscriber yet, please become one today at bikeportland.org slash support. You can listen to more episodes and find out how to subscribe at bikeportland.org slash podcast. Our music is by Kevin Hartnell. I'm your host, Jonathan Maz. Until next time, thanks for listening, and I'll see you in the streets.